This episode of the Wheelhouse Factory Podcast is brought to you by Grindology. Grindology is an entrepreneurial subscription box that ships every quarter and is full of resources to help fuel your grind and your hustle. So what's included in the Grindology shipment? Well, I'm glad you asked. First and foremost, every single shipment will include a copy of the Grindology Tactical Manual. Every issue will be chock full of real tactics from real business builders that you can integrate into your business immediately. Think about it. How great would it be to receive real Facebook ad strategies from those who are actually doing it? What about building a user acquisition strategy? Those are the types of tactics that you can find in each issue of Grindology. Like I said, real tactics from real business builders. Each shipment delivers two bags of uniquely crafted coffee specifically roasted for you. The founder, the hustler, the entrepreneur, the maker, and the creator. Each shipment also includes an exclusive mug that speaks to the unique nature that is you, the entrepreneur. So visit Grindology.com to learn more. We will also include a link to Grindology.com within our show notes for easy access. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Wheelhouse Factory podcast. We are on episode number four, and on today's show we have the CEO of Apex Fantasy Football Money Leagues, Mikey Brody. That's right, it's happening, he's here. He is one of my favorite people to connect with, and I'm really excited to share his entrepreneurial journey with everyone on the pod. In just a few short years, he has taken Apex from an idea he had in college to one of the major players in fantasy football. They have over 21,000 teams drafted and have paid out $2 million in winnings. This is truly an awesome story, and it's something that's not out of reach for you. If Mikey can do it, so can you. So if you like the topics that we've been discussing on the show, you know, consider giving us a review and a subscribe because... It really does make a big difference. And with that, I hope you enjoy the show and let's get started. Hello out there and welcome to the Wheelhouse Factory Podcast. My name is Trevor Lightfoot. I truly believe in relentlessly pursuing the things that you're passionate about. Whether that's a startup idea you've been sitting on, a side hustle you're trying to make time for, or a passion project that you're hoping to take to the next level. Everyone has the ability to be their own catalyst for something amazing. And that's why I created the show. This season, join me as we explore my own wheelhouse passion project of starting a band, The Jovers. Each episode will focus on the topics, tools, and resources that you can use and apply to your own project. I'm so excited that you're here. Let's get started. Been, been pretty fun so far, but I'm excited to get Mikey Brody back on the mic. Have they all been on different topics? Like when you talk yeah. to them, or are they on competitive analysis as well? No, no. So the way I'm shaping season one is to kind of be like a progression of how you would approach any sort of idea. So the first piece that AJ is really talking about is um, kind of that that focus element of when you think you have an idea, how do you build upon that and start to try to formulate what that looks like in your head? Matt is is on uh, talking about the concept of like hitting go. And really we do a deep dive into like his, um, his pickup and move to Portland to go work for the trailblazers. And that was a lot of fun. And then with Sarah, we had her on to do a industry analysis. So similar, but more of like a a macro level of, we just talked about 
I basically did an industry analysis for the Jovers by asking her questions about the music industry. Really cool. I'm excited to listen to them. Um, yeah, man, but so this is our technically our second podcast together. How, how does it feel? It feels great. I'm just happy to be here. I'm glad that I was selected to speak about uh, competitive analysis in my industry, and I'm excited to get going. This is, uh, yeah, this is pretty awesome because I've been wanting to pick your brain for a while about fantasy football and what that industry looks like because basically since I've known you, you have um, been in the industry as a customer and then as an entrepreneur and businessman. And yeah, I'm excited to dive into your story a bit more and get to pick your brain a little bit. Me too. Let's do it. But as you know, I like to break the ice with something a little bit more on the fun and easygoing side. And since we are going to be talking about a competitive analysis in fantasy football, I thought we could merge my topic of music and starting a band with your topic of football. And so what I'd like to know is if there was a fantasy football style draft, but for music artists, who would be your number one pick? So this is an interesting question because fantasy football is really about the average draft position and where players are going. If you have a player who's going very high, then you're able to trade him for people who would go lower. So it's basically based off of popular consensus to some extent. So I would feel like I would need to go with the popular consensus and then I can trade back for the musicians I like. Um, So the popular consensus, number one, in my opinion, would be the Beatles. So yeah, we didn't even go over the the rules and regulations here. So is it any artist of all time or is it living only? Because that that changes the game for me. That would definitely change the game. Um, And I think it would be very interesting because if we're talking about living only, are we picking years? Is it anybody that's alive? Um, And it's, it's kind of difficult to decide who the most popular musician right now is. Is it Drake? Is it Justin Bieber? Um... And there may be other people involved that I don't even know about. Okay, so you you obviously, you know, and as usual, as expected, put more analysis into this question than I did. I was <laughs> I was just gonna go with Lady Gaga and call it a day. Okay. I respect that. Because we have the crossover now. She's doing movies now. She was in um American Horror Story at one point. I mean, she's kind of all across the board at this point. So I, I feel like I respect that. I- I could make the same argument for Drake. He acted, right? The question is, where does Beyonce go? And where does Ed Sheeran go? Oh, Ed Sheeran I'm taking. Uh, we'll have <laughs> to be, we'll be very careful about where he's going. I don't want any other owners to snap, grab him before I can get my hands on <laughs> So there's, there's a lot of, um, there's a whole bunch of places we could start with the topic of competitive analysis. And we're going to get into a, a lot of them. Let me set the stage real quick with um, who you are. And if you don't mind, can you take us through uh, Apex Fantasy Football and kind of how that got started and, and what your roles are with the company? Yeah, I would love to. So I'll start way from the beginning. My dad got me into fantasy football at an early age. We played in a league before it was popular. Um, there weren't very many websites that track stats. And I was playing with my dad and it was kind of one of those things that just clicked and immediately I loved it and I was good at it. 
and continued to play and continued to win the home league. And that kind of went into college where I was playing in more leagues online and I was learning about the industry. And when it came time to graduate college, there was one industry that I knew very well. And I thought that there was a business opportunity that nobody was taking advantage of. Um, so we created Apex and we are in year eight now and it's been great. I, I deal with everything from customer service to marketing, to branding, to website design. Um, I do a little bit of everything. There aren't a lot of people who work for us. Um, but I kind of get my hands in everywhere and wear a lot of hats with Apex. So I guess I would be considered a CEO, but I, I, I do a lot of roles for Apex. So what is the, I guess, organizational structure, right? Is, is it still you and Asher or is it expanded at this point? No, it is just me and Asher. And then we hire part-time employees for the rest of the year when we get really busy. Okay. At some point, I this is a separate show topic, but I definitely want to talk to you about team dynamic and kind of company culture and how you've built that with Asher over the last eight years. Cause I think that's another pretty fascinating topic of getting into business with a, with a close friend and, and what that does. Yeah, that's definitely an interesting topic, but I think it's most important to lead by example. And if you're willing to do the dirty work, the customer service stuff, talk to people and show that you're willing to put the time in, I think that other people are more inclined to do so. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so going back to the topic of uh, competitive analysis, and if you take us back to eight years ago, which I cannot believe it's been that long because, you know, I've known you since we were in high school together and um, it's just wild. It's wild how fast eight years goes. Um, what was what was your approach around breaking into the industry and kind of getting a, a feel for the landscape and your competitive analysis? So I knew of websites that offered public fantasy football, and that was kind of the arena we wanted to go to. Nowadays, it's a little confusing when you just talk about fantasy football because there are two different types of fantasy football. There's daily, which is FanDuel and DraftKings, um, and then there is season-long, which we offer and our competitors obviously offer. And at the time that I was graduating from U of A, um, either FanDuel had just started or was about to start. And right. we played with a company called Masters and they were great. I like the guys who work for that company, but I thought that they were lacking on their settings. There's a number of ways that you can run fantasy leagues. I didn't think that they were starting enough players. So I had a lot of players on my bench that I wanted to play, but I was unable to do so. So I was unable to gain an advantage. And I thought with the way that they played, since you were playing so few players, that you didn't really have the opportunity to show that you were able to draft such a good team and take advantage of it because everybody has four good running backs or wide receivers to offer. So we decided that we could do deeper starting lineups. You would have to start two running backs, three wide receivers, and a flex position. So you'd start two additional positions compared to masters. We thought we could increase the payouts that they were offering. And we also thought that we could change a setting to take the randomness out of fantasy. Um, every fantasy football league season long, you will play against a random opponent each week. In Apex, you play against a random opponent and against the league average. 
Um, why does hmm. this matter? Well, fantasy football is only a 13-week season before the playoffs. So a really good team could have a very unlucky schedule where they go against teams that just happen to go off on them. I think anybody who's played in a lot of fantasy leagues has had that where you have the most points against in your league. And despite having a really good season, you weren't able to take advantage of that with apex. Let's say that you play against the person who scored the most points in the league that week and you score the second most, you would lose your head to head with him, but you would beat the average. So you would go one and one, which wouldn't, wouldn't really hurt your standings. Um, where you are in the standings. Um, so we were able to add that setting. And I think that connects with a lot of people because they have had that experience where they are constantly going off against teams that are going off. So in Apex, instead of playing the 13 games in the regular season, you'll play 26 and you'll have a bigger opportunity to show that you are the superior fantasy owner. So when you... and full disclaimer out there and and you know this Mikey but I'm not a fantasy football expert so <laughs> and I what I extract from that is you know you you looked at the landscape and saw an opportunity out there for how you could create more flexibility for um players and take me back to that moment what was that like to kind of uncover that that differentiator was that something that you saw and it was kind of an aha moment or did it just evolve over time it kind of evolved over time because when you think of the idea, it can sound great to you, but you don't know if that is going to sell fantasy leagues. Um, if you have that and your website doesn't look so good or you don't have any history, are people still going to sign up with you? So I thought it was something that was going to resonate with people, but I didn't know if that would be enough to make Apex a successful business. So we thought the culmination of the deeper starting lineups um, the higher payouts and the two games per week, in addition to some other settings that we have, we thought that we were going to be able to at least chase our dream and see if Apex could feasibly become a business. That's such an awesome story, dude. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thank you. It's, I appreciate it. It's, pr it's really impressive what you guys have done. Yeah, what's, what's really crazy about it is initially you deal with all the concerns kind of head on and it weighs on you every day while all of your friends are out making money working for somebody else. You're chasing this dream and you don't know what's going to come of it. Um, right. And you can chase and do whatever you, you can, but in year one, when you have no standing of offering fantasy leagues and people can go to a place that they're familiar with... Um, it's unlikely that they're going to sign up with you. So originally we made an agreement that we would try three years and see if we saw significant progress. And it kind of took all three of those years for me to feel like even after that, I didn't know if it was necessarily going to be a future for me. Um, but if you're early and starting out, these things take time. Um, you right. need to put a lot of time and energy in it and try and find whatever edges you can. Um, to be different than other people. Uh, and it doesn't happen overnight. So it's a great success story, but there was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears involved. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm curious. So when you, you know, going back to before launch, before year one, you know, you're kind of building this, this company from the ground up and you think you have a good idea. You think you have a good differentiator, a uh, good go-to-market strategy. Are you... Like what, what was your tactical approach to 
the competition? Did you have a, a running spreadsheet that listed all the other fantasy football companies? And I definitely had that. I definitely wrote down everybody's payouts and saw how we can offer higher payouts than them. But one of the good things that we did is I had started writing about fantasy football in college. So I had a little bit of a Twitter following and I knew some people who were in the industry. So I wrote a 20 question fantasy football survey to see what was popular and what people liked in their fantasy leagues. So I I tweeted that. that out. And I had a bunch of people retweet it. So I think we got around 300 responses. And we used that when determining what settings we were going to use for Apex. Do you remember what kind of questions were on your survey? Yeah, I mean, they're all league specific. What type of scoring you're looking for, whether it's PPR, whether it's standard, what kind of starting lineups you're gonna, you would like to see. Uh, basically trying to gauge whether the deeping start, deeper starting lineup thing was legitimate. Um, we asked about waiver strategy, about scheduling, um, about payouts. Do you want all the money to go to first place? Should only first and second get paid? Should third place get paid? Um, how should the percentages be broken down? Um, when should the trade deadline be? Questions like that. I think that's such a great call out because yes, you had a, a Twitter following and you you took to that to to send out your survey and extract the information, but pretty much anybody can reach out to, you know, even if it's just friends and family, right? You can create a survey pretty easily for free with great open-ended questions and walk away with all sorts of data that you can use to infer your decision-making. So for you, did you and Asher, um, you know, once you got the survey results back, how much did that influence your direction It influenced our direction big time, and we also used it to create content. Um, We wanted to advertise a skill-based format that helped the best teams win, but also what fantasy owners were looking for in a league. And we were able to show our findings in the survey and use that on our website to show these are the results that we have for what fantasy owners like. Um, And I believe that page is still on our website. So um, we took all that information, we wrote about it, uh, and potential clients were able to come see it. Very cool. Um, going back to something that you talked about earlier, which was when you were doing your initial research um, toward the end of, of your undergrad and you saw the opportunity, what, what was it about fantasy football that made you say there was an opportunity? Was it um, growth in the industry? Did you just notice popularity gaining besides the the um, pieces that you mentioned earlier around we could do this function or that function or add this, yeah. that, you know, what was it in particular? Was it more passion driven or was it more, hey, there's a gap here and we think we can make a make a difference? I think that it's a combination of both. Obviously, I had the passion. Um, I actually remember, I think my freshman or sophomore year of high school, I gave a presentation. You were supposed to give a presentation on something that you're passionate about. And here's freshman Mikey giving a presentation about fantasy football. And I don't think that anybody (laughs) knew what fantasy football was at that time. And there I am talking about drafting random players and people are looking at me like I'm crazy. And as I went through college, people like you or Joe are asking me like, who should I take in my fantasy draft? Um, And when I slowly saw from 
my freshman, sophomore year where nobody knew what fantasy football was to now it's becoming mainstream. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody's asking me about it. I knew that the industry was only going to grow. Um, so once it's I knew wild, the industry yeah. was going to grow, yeah. And then I knew what was being offered in the industry and I had an idea for how we can do better. It seemed that rather than entering the workforce and then trying to chase my dream and find time for it, uh, I should just try and chase my dream immediately following graduating. So y- you may not know the answer to this, but I am curious. So eight years ago, how many fantasy football companies were there versus how many there are today? Um, I knew of about three or four direct competitors then, um, maybe five. Now I think that there are a similar number, but I think that is because of the barriers to entry that were created because of FanDuel and DraftKings. Um, there are regulations in many states. Um, New York was the first big state to make uh, requirements for each fantasy football provider to meet. Uh, hmm. Geolocation, holding all of the money in the trust. And one of the things that really helped Apex was we had a competitor called Phenoms, and Phenoms was bigger than we were. Um, they hosted fantasy leagues, but they didn't have the software on their website. They outsourced the software. So they decided that they wanted to no longer outsource the software because it was costing them too much, and they were going to build their own website. Um, Hmm. That went over budget, and they were forced to declare bankruptcy. They were only able to pay out about 30% of the winnings to all of the people in their leagues. And this was after our second year. And after that, we got a lot of Phenoms customers, but it came with the caveat of how do I know that you're not going to be like Phenoms? And shortly after that, the regulations started and states were requiring that all the money is immediately put into a trust to ensure its safety. Wow. Yeah. So what what was that like having to go from, I love fantasy football and I'm fascinated by it to oh my God, there's actually all of these things that either I didn't know about or I heard of but didn't realize how complicated it was, like paying people out or like um, you know, collecting people's uh, social security numbers and gathering yeah. all that data. What was that like? Yeah, I, th- I think originally I was scared of the regulations. I was worried about handling all these things that I've never dealt with, but Originally, it was very difficult to fill fantasy leagues. You are a random website on the web. Who is going to come and trust you with their $500 for a fantasy league? So originally, it was very difficult for us. Um, And I kind of learned over that time that if people are begging to give me money and sign up for fantasy leagues, I'll do whatever I can to provide them for them because I know what this feeling of not being able to get anybody is like. Um, so I still feel that I still remember exactly what it was like when I was calling my dad's friends and asking them if they'd participate because we couldn't get enough traffic on our website. So whenever we have the opportunity to have people come in and ask questions, I'm happy to answer them because if you're interested in playing on apex or playing on our website, um, we're happy to ease any concerns that you may have, you know, for the Jovers, um, which is the catalyst for this entire podcast series, um, 
you know, I of course did an industry analysis and a competitive analysis and my discoveries were, were a little bit different and I'm curious to, to get your take on how they compare, but I found at least for the competitive side of things in music, it feels like musicians and bands are, it's more of a community driven type of thing. Like if you can find another act or another, uh, artists that that you jive with really well you know you kind of promote each other or if there's a select you know number of bars or venues that you develop those relationships it becomes very very helpful to have those relationships and that community around you to help you you grow but in fantasy football it doesn't really seem like you're not going to call fan duels or another company i assume i mean i don't know you tell me yeah, even our direct competitors, I don't have any ill will towards them. They may actually be more in line with how I feel because they deal with similar things on a daily basis. Um, so, no, I, I only have good things to say about our competitors. Uh, yeah, I don't know anything negative that I would have to say. I think that a lot of us deal with the same regulatory problems where states require a big payment in order for you to offer fantasy football to their residents. And there was a company who went around to collect money to pool together in order to deal with lobbying efforts. And a lot of our competitors were involved in that. So I see that we all deal with similar problems and I'm sympathetic to that. That's pretty awesome. Cause you would think that there are probably industries and, and situations out there where that's not always the case. So is there a is there some sort of um I think actually maybe you you may have told me about it. Is there a conference or some sort of arena where your competitors are in the same place and you're able to actually meet face to face with those people? There is, but it's not as simple as our competitors. I don't think that a lot of our competitors go, but in addition to that, it includes other fantasy sports, it includes fantasy writers. It includes people who are on TV talking about fantasy. Um, so it's not just go there and all of our competitors are there, but there's something called the Fantasy Sports Trade Association that meets in Vegas every year. I don't know that it will meet in Vegas this year, um, but yes, that is where the industry meets. Interesting. So when you think about your differentiators and your competitive analysis, eight years later, you know, what's the process like now that you're a seasoned vet and you are, you know, the industry like the back of your hand and are you still pivoting every year? I mean, what's the approach now? So we still send out an end of season survey every year to everybody who played in our leagues and ask them to give us feedback, what we can improve. Um, we've kind of gotten to the point where it depends on the individual for what they would like to improve. There aren't a lot of uh, majority agreements for things that can easily be improved. But there are certain league types that are becoming more popular that we're offering more of. Um, and one of the nice things about all the regulation we deal with is created a barrier to entry. So there's not a lot of new competitors entering mm. the industry. Um, but the challenges that we have to deal with is we're quickly growing and we've basically been doubling every year. So meeting the demand has become increasingly difficult, something that in my early in year one, I would have <laughs> never dreamed of. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about that. So where were you at at the end of year one versus the end of year seven? 
So year one, we filled 15 leagues of 12 teams. Year seven, we filled 601 leagues of 12 teams. And then we also filled playoff leagues and we filled 73 of those. Oh my God. Yeah. And that just this blow your year, mind? yeah, it blows my mind. And this year we're already double where we were at this time last year. In terms of new leagues, we're triple where we were last year. So it continues to grow. Who knows how COVID will affect it? Let's just hope that the football season is played out. Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole nother podcast if uh, the NFL gets delayed. Yes. So I have a couple more questions if you have time. I would love to talk about it. So when you're looking at what other companies are doing, since the barriers to entry are so high, it's kind of the same players uh, year in and year out for the most part. Have there been any new differentiators that you see one of your competitors doing that you're, you think to yourself, oh man, I wish, I wish Apex thought of that or I wish Apex did something like that. That's super smart. Yeah, there's definitely one that I would like to. And that goes back to the Phenoms discussion where we outsource our leagues to a website called My Fantasy League. And My Fantasy League is a great website, but we pay them for every individual league. So it would be awesome to have the software, be able to offer more league types, be more customizable, and be more specific to Apex because they have other customers as well. The issue with that is building that system costs over 500 grand. And we're very good. Yeah, not only is it cost prohibitive, but we're very good at hosting leagues. Do we also want to move into the software side and deal with that when none of us come from a computer science background? So I'm not sure that that's something that we specialize in. We know what fantasy owners like, we know how to offer it to them, and Mm -hmm. we know how to comply with the law in order to do that. Do we now want to venture into this territory um, where we're not specialists and we don't know a whole lot about it. So at this time, the answer has been no, but in the future, I would love to have the platform played on our own website. You have it in the, in the parking lot. Maybe that's like a year 10 thing. Yes, correct. (laughs) So my show is, is geared towards people who have a side hustle, a passion project or a startup idea. And there's some sort of obstacle in their way. And really the show, the, the purpose of it is to try to give people things to add to their toolbox to help break down those obstacles and, and kind of fight through that adversity. So I'm curious what sort of advice, tips or tricks maybe you have for people who have an idea but haven't hit the go button yet on, on starting it. My advice would just be hit the ground running, rattle the cages, do things. Um, Whether it's sending out a survey, writing for a website, creating content, creating a video, writing a how-to article, just do it. Um, As long as you're doing something, uh, you can generate some sort of traffic and there are other people that are looking to find out that information. So the first step is just doing something. A lot of people will talk about the things that they want to do and they won't just dive into it. And once you dive into it and you see that progress, um, it's rewarding and you want to keep chasing it. What was, what was the discussion like for you when you told your parents and you kind of made the decision, Hey, I'm going to start my own thing instead of getting a job right out of college. Was there any sort of backlash there? 
my mom didn't understand it and my dad had played with me for years so he was really supportive um but i i had to get over my own hurdles mentally where i didn't know if we could be successful how can I create this website that's going to stand up to all these big businesses. And now it actually seems more overwhelming than it did when I was young and had just graduated from college. So I think kind of having that dream that you can chase, um, chase it because you're the only one that's stopping yourself. When you sit around and you think about it and you put these hurdles in your mind, it prohibits you and it hurts you. If you just try it, maybe it will work out, maybe it won't, but at least you tried and at least you chased. There's there's a whole nother, I actually have it written down somewhere. There's a whole nother show I want to do with you, uh, title pending, but basically the idea is overcoming the unexpected. And I go back to that moment where it was like the heart of your season and all the servers went down and it was just basically the worst thing that could have happened happened. And I want to do a deep dive into that story at some point. Yes. I don't know if I should talk about it at all right now, save it for that episode, but there are things that will go wrong. If you try and uh, sell your own product or offer a service, not everything's going to go right. You're going to hit rock bottom, um, but the good times will make you feel amazing. So it's just about chasing it and doing everything that you can to make it happen. Man, you have a you have a TED talk in your future, I think. <laughs> You're gonna be on YouTube one of these days. <laughs> I would love to. Waiting for the invite. <laughs> um hey, this was great, man. I uh I really appreciate you hopping on. And anytime I can get some time with with Mikey Brody, I'm I'm on board. Yeah, I, I love being on here. I love talking to people who are interested in business. I would love to do a creating content episode. Um, So if you're interested in that, I think that for online businesses, um, the way to succeed is creating content. So I would love to come back on another episode and talk about that. Hey, you you heard it here first. We're bringing Mikey back. It's happening. Um, All right, man. Well, I'm going to I'm going to hit stop on on the record. Okay, cool. Before we wrap up the show, let's take a moment to just debrief on that discussion with Mikey. I think the main takeaway for me is that a competitive analysis really needs to be a, a, an important ingredient into to how you approach your, your project. We heard Mikey talk about leveraging tools like a survey to gather feedback and help develop ideas around how Apex could differentiate. It's really important to take the time and make the effort to gather that information ahead of time so you can be agile enough to you know, make decisions and changes along the way that really set your product or service apart from the competition. Last but not least, you know, I, I just want to say thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Wheelhouse Factory Podcast. Mm-hmm.